Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Who are those guys? I'm Galen. And I'm Doug. And we're those movie guys. Bringing movie reviews and previews to the masses since 2007. Hello, this is Sunday, August 19th, 2007. Today on the show, we have reviews of Stardust, Wild Hogs, and Disturbia. First, folks, we're going to take a look at our theatrical release, the movie Stardust. Six years after Lord of the Rings, we still seem to be in the middle of a deluge of fantasy films. We have the Harry Potters, the Chronicles of Narnia, a series of unfortunate events, Bridge to Terabithia, and coming out later this year, The Spiderwick Chronicles, The Dark is Rising, and Beowulf. With the genre filled to capacity, it should come as no surprise that many seem to be little more than carbon copies of each other. So, with the release of Stardust last week, it was a bit difficult to know what to expect. Would this be yet another cookie-cutter fantasy film, with the young hero setting off to battle the forces of evil and save the world, or would it be something different, an original addition to the genre? The story certainly seems original from the trailers. A star falls from the sky and takes the form of Claire Danes, who a young man sets out to bring back to his love in order to persuade her to marry him. On the way, the couple are beset by evil princes, geriatric witches, oh, and a sky pirate played by none other than Robert De Niro. Yes, you heard me right, a sky pirate played by Robert De Niro. So with such a whimsical style, it looked like it might be an interesting comedy fantasy similar to the wonderful The Princess Bride. Well, Galen, I didn't get a chance to see Stardust this week, but you did. So can you tell me, is it a fun, whimsical piece of escapist fantasy, or just another in a long line of mediocre mediocre fantasy films? Well, I, I'm going to have to say that it, it's definitely not in the line of fantasy films. Because one thing I will give Stardust is it's not like anything else you're likely to see. Uh, it, it just has this amazingly beautiful world. It's completely original looking. I mean, and in this genre, as you were saying, this fantasy genre that is just flooded with things that basically look like rip-offs of Lord of the Rings. It's it's very refreshing to see something original here. The, the look of the architecture and the villages and the costumes, I mean, it's all very unique, and it has that Neil Gaiman feel to it. I, I'm... I've read other books by Neil Gaiman and some of his uh, graphic novels, and he definitely gives you a certain feeling in his works. And you definitely get that in Stardust. Um, so, so that was definitely nice. The story, as you mentioned, is also completely original. It's nothing... I, I mean, so often fantasy is just, as you were saying, about the the young boy who sets out and ends up saving the world from the forces of evil. And this really isn't about that. This is more, a little more of an adult 
fantasy because it's not about that boyhood type adventure. It's about it's more of a romance, very much like the Princess Bride. But all that being said, and and there is a lot of good going for this. It's not Stardust isn't a perfect movie. It has some problems. First of all, I I think it it was clear from the previews that it definitely has like this light-hearted humor aspect to the film. Well, sometimes I think it goes a little too far. I you know, I I typically don't like comparing one movie to another, but this kind of begs to be compared to The Princess Bride. And I think one of the great things with The Princess Bride is it it manages that balance between being a legitimate fantasy adventure story and a comedy so well. It, it never goes too far one way or the other. It maintains that balance. Stardust doesn't do that. And, and it's unfortunate because while most of the time the humor is on that just light, whimsical side, there are a couple moments when it becomes almost so absurd and so slapstick-like. It's almost like a vaudeville act. Um, for example, uh, uh, you know, one example is there are these ghosts, like, whenever, I, I don't think I'm giving too much away by saying the, the royal family, the, there are these group of seven brothers, and one by one they kill each other in the movie, and this starts very early, but the thing with their curse is that they have to stay around as ghosts until the new king is crowned. Well, the ghosts, it's just so slapstick, like, they're kind of like the ghosts in Harry Potter, like, nearly Headless Nick or something, because they look goofy based on how they died, and they just, I don't know, they do these weird expressions and stuff, they're almost like a comedic chorus or something, and I don't think it quite works. Almost like a Three Stooges type of thing. Yeah, yeah, or Seven in this case. I mean, the ghosts aren't quite the Stooges level, but um, they are, it it is a little too much, too goofy, because the rest of the movie's not really goofy, it's more like The Princess Bride, whimsical. Now, the other element that I think, where the humor gets a little out of hand, is with Robert De Niro's Sky Pirate. You know, in the previews, it almost just... It, 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 it looks like Robert De Niro is just playing a sky pirate, which is pretty weird. But it's actually... His character is so bizarre, because he's this really effete, cross-dressing sky pirate. And he's very... Um, I, I mean, I, I think he's clearly supposed to be gay, because he even... He winks at a couple of the guys in it, and... Um, he's certainly effeminate, if not supposed to be gay, and it's just, like, it's a joke you'd expect from, frankly, something from, like, Wild Hawks, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Because, uh, it's just, I mean, he's funny at first, because it is kind of funny seeing this sky pirate who acts all tough and, and mean to put on this act for his men, and then behind closed doors, he's sipping tea and talking about jolly old England. But then there's a scene where he's, like, dressing up 
in in a dress and a boa and he's dancing around and it it's just so goofy. It's something that belongs in a much sillier movie. Like I said, a bad comedy. So that that was an unfortunate part in it as well. Um another thing is that there are there are too many villains in the movie and none of them really have anything to do with one another because you have an evil prince and you have the witches and you have i i mean even the girl that um that uh Tristan's is trying to win the heart of played by Sienna Miller even she can kind of be viewed as a uh, a villain in the movie and it's just it, at times it loses its focus a little bit i think um all that being said i think it's a fairly enjoyable movie it's just it's not something on the level of the princess bride at all and it at the end of the day i i can only give it a 3 out of 5 i think it's an okay movie i think if you're into fantasy you'll like it especially if you want to see something new because it it definitely is original and it's worth seeing just because of that but at the end of the day it's just not anything spectacular as far as from a uh, a filmmaking point of view Well, if there was one film this year so far that I had the least interest in seeing, there's a good chance that it was Wild Hogs. It seemed to have all the ingredients for a Category 5 cinematic disaster. Basic road trip plotline about a group of men suffering from varying degrees of midlife crises. Check. Painfully unfunny homophobic jokes and slapstick. Check and check has-been cast of actors sure to bring in a slightly older audience that remembers when they actually starred in decent films. Check, 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 and check. However, despite my misgivings and your own, for whatever reason, you decided to watch this film this week. So, Doug, I'll get right to it. Was the film as horrid as it looked, or are you going to be brazen enough to go out there and endorse this alleged piece of cinematic trash? <laughs> well, first let me say I got this off of borrowing it from somebody. Okay. I figured with it being a, a new release, it would be one that we could cover. <laughs> Someone at work, but, I take it? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, I might find this film a little funnier than you would, perhaps, because I work with people that resemble these characters. Right. But to, to, to fairly review this movie... From a critical standpoint, it's pretty freaking terrible. <laughs> and I think we all saw that coming. I mean, <laughs> yeah. when, when you watch the trailers, you might have chuckled a couple times. Some of the slapstick, yeah. Maybe you, you kind of laugh at it if you like slapstick comedy. But it's really all the movie has going for it. And that slapstick really only takes place in like the first half hour. So I would say that's probably the only funny part of the movie, the first half hour. When you get to know the characters and you, you kind of see them right. just starting this motorcycle gang. 
once they actually start out on their road trip, the whole thing just falls flat on its face. Yeah. Now, I'll continue with some more good points. The movie never really turns serious. You know, there's no point in the story where everything stops and, and you know, it tries to, to beat a moral lesson into your head or <laughs> so they you know, never... turn into a sad moment. It, it never goes that way, which is good, because that would have utterly and completely destroyed the movie. Yes, yeah, so we, we can call that the click effect. <laughs> well, I'll also say that the cast does have decent chemistry together. Alright, but the writing and the direction is pretty terrible. The, the writing doesn't really play to any actor's strength. I mean, Martin Lawrence has done a lot of good comedy in movies like Nothing to Lose and Blue Streak. Right. He has a, a very certain style in both his speech and his mannerisms, and, and they just don't come through here. Now, Tim Allen, I mean, he is a good slapstick actor, as we all know from the years of home improvement that he's done. But again, the slapstick stops pretty much a half hour into it. And John Travolta and William H. Macy, they both have done very accomplished things in their career. But oh, yeah. again, that's not transformed into this movie. They're both very one-dimensional characters. John Travolta especially. I, I think he was probably the worst of the four. So other than the... Uh, the flat characters and pretty much the overall lack of comedy. All you have looked forward to is scenery, and I have to say that's a problem too. There's a lot of motorcycle footage, just scenes where they're riding through the open road, and it's not like the cinematography or anything is so gorgeous that it gives a point to these scenes. They're just kind of riding and riding and they're riding from one disaster to another disaster. Right. And now the movie's only about an hour and a half or an hour 40 minutes. I bet probably these motorcycle scenes make up, I'd say, a good 10 or 20 minutes. Oh, wow. It's just not really needed. But about halfway through the film, the, the story kind of turns to these guys going to this small town. They're running away from another motorcycle gang. And frankly, folks, I don't care if I give anything away here, because you know I'm not going to recommend this. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, I think that's once... in the preview, too. What's that? Them running, running away. From yeah, yeah. Okay, it could be. Because they knock over their bikes or something. Yeah, that. I guess that's what starts it. Yeah. But, uh, they hit this small town, and it's here where the movie gets extremely formulaic because, you know, these four friends almost start to, to turn on each other. You know, not they don't become bitter enemies, but you find out certain circumstances with John Travolta's character on why this whole road trip took place, and everybody gets pissed off at each other. But, of course, they're friends, so they stick together and beat the hell out of these biker villains that come and are chasing them. I, I don't know. I really hated the movie when it hit this small town. I thought yeah. it might have been the turning point, but it wasn't. The movie had hit rock bottom, and it never came back. <laughs> uh, there's not much else to say about this movie. 
other than you just really need to avoid it. I think even if you're looking for a good family film, there's other things you can find than this. Yeah, you know, um, I I don't know if you'd call this a family film necessarily, although other than a couple parts, it's not bad, but the definitive road trip movie is, of course, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, yeah. I mean... Leaps and bounds better than that. Yeah, and and it just... (laughs) It's one of those things that we have the perfect road trip comedy. It was made 20 years ago. And, you know, if you're not going to improve on it, please don't make new ones. Well, yeah, and and it's funny because the reason planes, trains, and automobiles work, I mean, you have two characters that the chemistry there is pretty much unbeatable. I mean, Steve Martin and John Candy together were hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, the cast is decent in this, but the writing—it's just—it didn't work. It didn't create that likability, you know. So that in planes, trains, and automobiles, you liked Steve Martin's character, even though he was an asshole. Yeah. At least at the beginning, you liked his character, and same with uh, John Candy—you really liked his character. You never kind of grow that relationship with any of the characters in Wild Hogs. Yeah, and I kind of, I mean, it's hard for me to say without actually seeing the movie, but it looked from the previews that the actors were kind of just sleepwalking through their parts, too. I mean, exactly. Especially someone like William H. Macy, I mean, he knows that this movie's horrible. You know? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Why is he going to give a great performance if he knows the movie's bad? Yeah. I guess he's hard up for cash. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that's why he does the movie, but he's not necessarily going to try to, right. to give the, an Academy Award-worthy performance in it. Right. So, yeah. I, I it, it, it does make you wonder. I mean, I guess William H. Macy hasn't done a whole lot lately. Because everyone else I could see doing this movie. Because John Travolta, even though he's done good stuff, he's done horrible stuff, too. Oh, oh, yeah. And, and, and obviously, uh, Martin Lawrence hasn't done anything good in years. And uh, no, not really, Tim cause... Allen's never done anything good. So, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I could see them. there is a preview but... for the Santa Claus 3 on this. Oh, I the know. Escape Clause. I, I just, I'm sure that's going to be hilarious. Oh my god, I can't... I don't know, we have to stop this because I'm just getting angry by these crappy movies. So what are you going to give Wild Hogs? I'm giving it a one and a half. You're, okay, I'm sorry. but you're, <laughs> I knew this was coming. You're giving it coming. a full point higher than Bridge to Terabithia. Yes, I am. You're, you're like on cocaine or something. You need to put down the crack pipe. (laughs) Our third review is going to focus on the DVD release of Disturbia. In both Transformers and the dreadful Bobby, we both agreed that one of the few bright points was Shia LaBeouf. While neither of us got a chance to see his role in the thriller from this year, Disturbia, but we both heard good things about it and felt that it might be an interesting suspense film. 
However, I think we both felt a bit of trepidation over any film that so closely follows the premise of one of the films from the master, Alfred Hitchcock. In Disturbia, LaBeouf plays a high school student placed under house arrest who takes up voyeurism as a hobby. Of course, his neighborhood is far more interesting than most because while he watches the few cases of infidelity, eccentric behavior, and the hot girl next door swimming and doing yoga, he also has the opportunity to spy on a serial killer. I know what you're thinking. This is basically the exact premise of Rear Window. And you're right. It's very close. So, Galen, I'm going to ask you, does director DJ Caruso make a decent remake of one of the greatest thrillers ever made, or does he fall flat on his face trying to stand in the footprints of the greatest giant of the medium? Well, you know what? I'm going to say that he does a pretty decent job of making a remake of one of the great... I, I think one of the top five greatest films of all time, frankly. Yes, I'd certainly agree, agree with that. Rear yeah. Window is I, a true I, gem. I can't remember offhand, but I believe when we counted down our top ten American films, we both had it at something like two. two. Yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously. Now, is Disturbia as good of, as Rear Window? Of course not. It's not even close. But that's an unfair comparison, obviously. But it, what it is is a very effective thriller. And uh, in, in a lot of ways, it kind of puts me in a mind of Red Eye. For both I the, like that movie as well. Yeah, for both the good things and the bad, though. Because uh, one of the great things about Red Eye is it did have this great, thrilling, oh, Hitchcockian sense to it. I mean, Red Eye definitely, while it wasn't directly based off of any of Hitchcock's films, it felt like a film he could have made. Right and um, and and Disturbia is sort of like that as well, although it is more directly influenced by Hitchcock. Uh, the problem with Red Eye I had though was I felt towards the end it became a little bit too formulaic of an action movie where they're running around chasing each other. You mean when they get off the plane? Yes. Yeah, you're you're very much right there. Yeah. And um, Disturbia falls into that same pit hole, whereas the end of Rear Window is one of the most thrilling and original uh, scenes that you'll ever see. Disturbia's is very much formulaic, where he's being chased down by the killer. And so that, that is, and I don't think I'm giving anything away by that, because I think we all know how the movie uh I, I think we all know the movie will end up by him being chased by the killer. But um, that being said, throughout the movie, until the ending, there are a lot of shots that really set up the tension very well. I mean, the Caruso ha does a great job of setting up shots, like peeking through fences where you'll sh he'll show the camera looking through little cracks and gates, and, and shots of a camera looking at something, so you get the fuzzy sort of LCD screen on a camera type of look to it, and shots through windows, very much as Hitchcock did in Rear Window. And it gives this sense of claustrophobia to the film. And I think that really works. 
one issue is the great thing about Rear Window was that you... I don't know if you ever leave the apartment. I think the camera is permanently inside of the uh, inside of the apartment in that movie. I I'm not a hundred percent sure of that, but I believe so. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I, I don't think it ever leaves the apartment. Yeah, and and the great sense of that was that you felt trapped, just like Jimmy Stewart, and in that great scene when he's looking at. Uh, Grace Kelly's character across in the killer's apartment, you feel as helpless as him because you're stuck there. Well, in Disturbia, of course, when he sends his girlfriend off to do things and his friend and his mom, the camera goes and follows them. You do get the shots of him looking at them, but you also get the shots of the characters with them in real time. So it kind of destroys that feeling of that voyeuristic tension where he's trapped and can't do anything to help the people he cares about. And I'm not sure why Caruso made that decision, other than just to try to make it more of a conventional action movie and make it a little more accessible to the demographic he's going for, which is, you know, the teenage audience. But, uh... But that being said, another great thing about the film is two of the performances. First of all, Shia LaBeouf is terrific in this one as well. You know, he he is quickly becoming one of those actors that, sort of like a Johnny Depp, where he automatically makes a movie better just by showing up. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is another one who, just by having his presence he makes the movie a better film. So it sounds like this young movie star has a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, well, I certainly hope so. If he keeps making great decisions as far as the types of films he's in, other than Bobby and Transformers, unfortunately. But um, but certainly Disturbia was good, and he seems to be moving in a better direction with the script choice. But um, what I think he does so well is he plays these rules that are kind of cliched rules. You know, you have had in Bobby, you know, he was just this kind of aimless college student. And, of course, in Transformers, he's the kid in the action film. And then in this, he's the, the troubled teenager, you know, who has the... He has the tough luck kind of life and all that. And... It's something that it's it's a very cliched type of role, but he plays it in such an original way that it makes the character seem original and fresh, even though we've seen it a million times before. He never goes over the top with the, being this troubled teen. You know, you could so easily go into whining or crying, hating Christensen in Star Wars, I'm thinking of him, <laughs> where, oh, you know, he just went ridiculously over the top with the uh, whiny teenager. It, it kind of makes you wonder what Shia LaBeouf would have been like as uh, Anakin Skywalker. That that might have been, that might have saved those movies, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, unfortunately, we'll never know that. But yeah, his role is just filled with subtlety, and he does a terrific job. And as you said, I'm certainly looking forward to what he does in the future. 
Uh, the other performance that is great is David Morse as the villain is just so terrific. Once again, like Shia LaBeouf, he takes this serial killer role, but he plays him in such a subtle way. And the scenes where he's just talking to Shia LaBeouf's character, Kale, and, uh, and his girlfriend are just legitimately creepy. So it, it, it it's he never goes over the top and becomes this kind of Hannibal Lecter-esque type of killer. But he always has this air of danger and menace about him. But another thing I wasn't wild about is the, the movie reminded me of the saying that we've quoted a million times on this show, and so might as well make it a million and one, and that's that the fact that just about any movie can be made better by chopping off the first 20 to 30 minutes of it. And this is certainly the case. It it takes about 25 minutes before he even begins his voyeuristic pursuits. And because of that, it, it feels kind of aimless in the beginning. It's like all set up. And I don't know if you need that set up. I, I much prefer when the director just trusts the audience to get a feel for the characters by their performance. And especially when you have such a great performance like that of Shia LaBeouf, I think you would get everything you need to know about the character just from watching him. I don't think you need to know, I don't think you need to see his dad getting killed or things like that in the very beginning of the film. I think you could fill in the pieces later, and it would be a much stronger film for that. You know, plus the beginning 30 minutes also suffers from being a bit cliched, because... You know, you have is it to, just needless drama, or is it? Oh yeah, actually have a point. No, it, it's pointless because it's just basically setting the first half hour is essentially just setting up why he ends up getting in house arrest, and once that's gone, it's unimportant. I I mean, the whole drama with his father getting killed—that's like the whole thing that tips off his anger, so that he ends up getting do, committing this crime that gets him in house arrest. But it's never important again. I mean, the fact of his father's death is completely irrelevant. It's just they had to make a an excuse for this basically good kid to have snapped and end up getting in trouble and being under house arrest so he'll be stuck in the house. <laughs> that does sound kind of like a big flaw. Yeah, it, well, I, and it's not huge because it's shot well and it's it's executed well. It just, it's it's a poor script in, in that part of the film. You know, you could have just chopped it off. But, um, and, you know, the love story in general is a little drawn out, and I'm not sure how necessary it is. But, you know, all that said, I did enjoy it, and I never felt that it was dragging. It has an excellent pace to it, you know, it, but it does have its share of flaws. So, uh, overall, I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. You know, I, I think it's definitely worth checking out. It's not fantastic but it's a decently exciting thriller so that sounds like the movie to choose instead of seeing stardust and sure as hell to avoid wild hogs <laughs> yeah we don't have a great 
uh, group of films this week that we reviewed. But if you're going to watch one of them, definitely Disturbia, because it's, it's definitely the best of the three. Okay, well, Doug, that's almost all the time we have on the show today. But before we go, we're going to talk about the upcoming releases for next week. We have Perfect Stranger, the thriller with uh, uh, Halle Berry and Bruce Willis coming out. The, where um, I, I believe it, it, they work for the CIA. Or I, I honestly don't know a whole lot about that one other than it... It had a horrible... Berry in a bad movie. <laughs> That's kind of redundant, isn't it? I mean... A.K.A. Catwoman. Yeah. I mean, she was good at Monsters Ball, but since then... Uh, then we have The Lives of Others, which is the uh, German film that won Best Picture. It stole it from, uh, from Pan's Labyrinth. Although I haven't seen it, and I am eager to see it, because it is supposed to be a great film. And uh, it's it's set in East Berlin in 1984, and it's basically about this guy who's he works for the German secret police, and it's his job to spy on uh, dissident playwrights and artists and things like that to see if any of them are are involved in dissident activities against the government, and it, it's supposed to be a really interesting movie about voyeurism, so. Similar to, like, Disturbia, which we just talked about today. Um, and that looks like that's pretty much all that's coming out on DVD of note this week. It's kind of a slow week, actually. Uh, coming up in theaters this week com- weekend coming up, we have Mr. Bean's Holiday. You and I are both actually huge Mr. Bean fans. You know, his movies don't necessarily get huge critical reviews, but if you're a Mr. Bean fan, you love what he does, and that's just how it goes. Uh, so I'm, I think both of us are looking forward to that. We have War, the Jason Stratham and uh, Jet Li film. Uh, looks really like a decent action movie. Both of them have starred in terrific action movies in the past, so it's uh, that should be a... An interesting one to look for. Then we have The Nanny Diaries, which looks like every other goofy uh, romantic comedy set against the uh, the upper class uh, citizens of Manhattan. So, you know, I think that will pretty much be a by-the-numbers type of movie. And <laughs> that's pretty much what we have uh, coming out this week. It's so we have a few good movies coming out, and I think we're going to try to see... It. You're, you, you're going to try to see uh, The Lives of Others to review that for next week, if you can. And, uh, I'm, yeah, I'll try to cover the DVDs. Yeah, and, and I'm going to try to see Superbad, which looked hilarious. I mean, I know we're, yes, yeah, we're both a little behind in our reviews because of... Uh, my move to Texas, so... Being about 1,800 miles apart. <laughs> right, so we're going to try to get caught up here and and also try to synchronize our reviews once we get caught back up, if, if that's at all possible. Okay, that's all for today's show. If you would like to review any of the ratings that we gave the movies that we covered today, 
please visit thosemovieguys.blogspot.com. There you can find more in-depth reviews, our star ratings, as well as links to items that we may have covered in the show. Plus, you can subscribe to our feed. Also, you can visit Google Groups at groups.google.com. When you're there, search for Those Movie Guys. You can post a message to our forums. And you can also email us at thosemovieguys at gmail.com. It's thosemovieguys at gmail.com. We look forward to any feedback that you can give us about why we're retarded. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.